Hi, everyone. You're listening to Talking About Death Will Not Kill You. I'm Lisa, and I'm speaking to Zenith today. Hello, Zenith. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. Good. I'm so glad I found you. So you are the CEO of the Natural Death, or well, it says Natural Death Care. Is it like a centre or a service? or? Yeah, well, we're a small charity. And we are concentrating now on giving advice and guidance and education to people who ask. So we're very much responding to people's needs. And I did a TED Talk recently and I described in there that before the internet, creating something like the Natural Death Care Centre was like holding a torch in the dark for people to find who were looking for independent uh, contemporary guidance for when they were dying, when someone they loved had, was dead and to bury or cremate the person and then about ceremony. So anything really within that whole process and journey that people find themselves in. Okay. So the, the people that mostly approach you, do you find that they are people taking charge of their own death or is it, is it a mixture of everything? It sort of depends now. So it for most of that time, it's been sort of half and half. Well, actually, it's been thirds. So it's people who are dying, mm-hmm. families who are responding to their, someone in their family dying, or it's people dealing with a sudden death through oh. whatever set of circumstances that is. Okay. And now people that are dying, I mean, I know that in not every single state in Australia has assisted dying right now. My state um, or our state, because you're in Byron Bay, New South Wales, um, mm. we're, we're bloody behind on this on this eight ball and it, it, angries, it angers me to no end. Um, but if you were in a, if you were having, say, contact someone who did have the options, are you able to assist them in that sort of regard? I'm not able to assist them in a medical sense or yeah. with that that process, but I would certainly, which I have already done over the years with people, talk to them about the the practicality of how that will be for others and yeah. the emotional journey that they will find them they may find themselves in and how they want to approach that and what they can do. Uh, about talking to people about how that's going to be for them and why and to get everyone on board so that people can move together uh, so that the experience is the best it can be for everyone and the aftermath of that the bereavement for the people left behind is the healthiest and the best it can be. Right. So in the services that you would offer to someone, would it be you refer them to counselling um, or would it be counselling? How, how does that work? Most people don't need counselling. If they're looking for a counsellor, they go to a counsellor. Right. But what I find is most people just want a bearing. They yeah. want to know that what they're feeling is within the bounds of normal, whatever normal yes. might be. Yeah. And they also, I suppose, people are drawn to me because now it's very easy to see me online speaking somewhere or listen to a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose people connect to me because I'm very real, but I'm also able to hold it all. So the terrible and the beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that, a lot of people are attracted to because a lot of people are very uh, trying to fix it, trying to make it better. They can be patronizing or pitying. Yes. And that's generally not, I'm, I'm in the uh, mystery of it, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm doing really for others what I would want someone to do for me if I was in the situation that they were in. And how did you come about? doing starting all this so I I was a regular person 
I had a day job. I was you still a are a regular person. <laughs> well, I don't know. Death has really polished me into something after 25 years on that cold face. Wow. And, you know, seeing the courage and capacity of people dying and their families accompanying them. Yeah. You know, I've learned I've learned an incredible amount of things, but I've I've also got that learning without the pain. Yes. Of lo- losing all those people if I loved them. So yeah. so I'm very fortunate in that way because they were willing to share that experience with me and then I share that with others. So for example, even though you know you're interviewing me, I don't come alone. I bring all of those people and their experience and their courage with me into this interview. So I'm, you know, I'm like the last one standing, but I'm, I'm, it's bigger than me because Mm -hmm. I'm a body of their experience and I bring, and so it's a very, uh, you know, it's been an incredible journey. So I wouldn't say, I was a regular person anymore. I'm yeah. probably, you know, I'm a very fortunate person to have been able to become so familiar with death and dying and loss and bereavement and tragedy without having to have the emotional suffering that usually accompanies yes. that. Yeah. You've got you've got that you've got that vision and that clear mind that enables you yeah to see different mm. things. Yeah. So so a friend of mine died suddenly one morning in the garden. She had an aneurysm and she got, her family called the ambulance. They tried to resuscitate her. She had died. They took her to the hospital. I went to visit her husband that morning because they rang to tell me she was sort of my best friend at that time. And I went with her husband to the hospital, to the morgue for him to identify her and while I was there I had this incredible experience of of feeling her spirit leave her body Mm -hmm. which I have never had since and I wouldn't say I was someone who uh, you know dabbles in those fields of energy or spirit or anything like that I'm much more pragmatic much more uh, grounded and but it clearly was an experience and I've known now that life often offers me things once and I so I've become very present in my professional life and and my personal life because I only get those experiences once Mm -hmm. and that's what happened and as we walked out I said to her husband you know we could do this ourselves I'm sure it's easy to work out how to bury your own dead and not have to give her to strangers. And so I did, I went on the way home, I called into a funeral director, uh, I explained the situation and he was incredibly generous and gave me all the information, explained the paperwork, gave me a trolley and also offered to accompany us in that journey to not interfere but to accompany us in case we ran into trouble, which wow. we did not. Yeah. But we dealt with the hospital, we dealt with the coroner, we took her home, we washed and dressed her body, we delivered her to the crematorium, we did a ceremony, and we pushed her into the cremator ourselves. And that all that care of her body all happened on my 37th birthday. Wow. And so... It was the beginning of a journey that really had a life of its own. But so when life offers you something, you know, when it invites you into the profound, then it's really great not to miss that moment and to say yes and see what it offers. So why was that? Why did you guys have that choice of of choosing that path and and looking looking after her yourselves and not going through uh, a funeral director and all that stuff? Everyone has that choice. Yeah. Everyone. And so, but because I I had a legal background and I also love to mess with the system of, you know, whatever, not comply quietly, Mm -hmm. is um, it just 
it didn't make sense to me that we would give her someone we loved and cared for, that we would hand her over to strangers and then turn up three days later with her body in a box. That just wasn't making any sense to me. And I knew that we had the capacity within our own group of friends to to take that on ourselves. And so I've done that for many people now, but I'm also teaching that information, how to do it. And within New South Wales, it's very simple. And yeah, really, because for example, you can keep a body at home in New South Wales for up to five days legally, as long as you keep it cold and it doesn't deteriorate and you are looking after it properly. You can complete the paperwork involved with a burial or cremation. And that is, that's New South Wales Health Department paperwork, but you can actually do it in most states. Right. And so what it's, what my work was about in those first few years was about teaching people what their options were consider for them to be able to consider those options and then make a choice that was the right choice for them so for many people that involved doing it all yourself but for others it involved engaging a funeral director but not being on that conveyor belt yes that they sometimes put you on so they they said no we want to wash and dress that body ourselves we want you to do the paperwork we want you to store it or we want you to bring it home. We want to have an overnight vigil. Uh, we want to drive that body in our own car to the ceremony. We want to have a ceremony in the park. Uh, and then we want to drive them to the grave or to the cremator. And we want to, you know, we want your guidance to support us to do what we want. Wow. And then, but it became very clear very quickly that the more people participate, the more they knew what their options were, the more they would be involved and the more involved they were, the better the outcome. So they couldn't change the circumstances of the death, but when they looked back, they said, wow, it's a shame that so-and-so died, but wow, you know, we really took charge of that or we really had a great funeral for them. And so their very last memory was something sustaining rather than something disempowering or debilitating. It wasn't insult to injury, which many people listening will probably have had a funeral where it was already terrible that the person died, often in sudden circumstances or someone young. And then the, the funeral, not so much now, but in the past was, you know, appalling and, yes. and not suited to them or to yes. the people attending at all. Yeah. But fortunately, in the last 25 years, you know, there's been an incredible revolution with people like me and many others reclaiming death back into our own hands and ceremony away from the clergy of any description, just like marriage, just like birth. Yeah. And and so it's a much more satisfying experience for people and it's bearable. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. So you mentioned that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on the fact that in New South, or in most states, but in New South Wales, a body can be kept at home at five day, for five days. So yeah. take me through it. For, for example, say I was thinking of doing that for a loved one. It says that the body has to be kept cold, but I imagine not fridge cold it would like an air-conditioned room would that be a suitable thing no 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 that would not okay so a lot of people wouldn't have the facilities to keep a body cold in their home no that's right but that's so what we did the natural death care center about 12 years ago we imported a cold plate from holland which is a stainless steel refrigerated plate that you plug in to an ordinary electric socket yeah, and you put that between the person and the surface that you've got them on. So often that's the, sometimes it's the floor, but yeah. sometimes it's the bed. Right. More often than not, it's in the bed. Yeah. And so that keeps the torso where the organs are yeah. cold. And right. it, it's not freezing 
but it's not far off it. It's about right. three degrees so that there is no deterioration in the body. And this is particularly important if you have a body of a person who has died from a disease like a cancer yes. that has been eating them away on the inside or if you have a tumour, something like that, because that will continue to uh, deteriorate in yes. a warm, you know, the torso holds the heat. Yes. So we all, you know, we all know because we've all seen, um, you know, dead animals on the side of the road and we all know what happens and how that body is combusted by its own internal heat as well as external heat. Yeah. So what is most important is for that to not cause more distress. Right. But now, yes. so we've had that cold plate that long time, but now within Australia, there are probably about another 25 cold plates held mostly by uh, independent funeral directors and independent home funeral directors uh, and tender, which is the not-for-profit service in Port Kembla, Life Rights in Sydney with Victoria Spence and a whole lot of other people who are assisting people to do it themselves. And they provide those cold plates to families so that they can keep their bodies at home in a cold condition. And then you can go from that bed with all the correct paperwork to the grave or to the cremator. Oh, wow. Okay. That's amazing. I, I literally, like I've done a fair bit of research for this podcast and I had no idea, like I've heard of natural burials where, you know, the coffin would be something that would be natural, but never, never a home sort of funeral and, and having yeah. that. I, I imagine, because I've heard, I mean, I don't know if there are myths or truths about, you know, what happens to the human body after it, after it starts to de not decompose, but when it's, once it's dead, um, is that is that manageable? It's not traumatic for people to to think to worry about, you know, things leaking, all that stuff happening. Well, you have to deal with the set of circumstances that you've got, and so yeah. there isn't one size fits all. Yes. So, for example, if someone dies suddenly, they're in good health, and they die suddenly from an accident or from a heart attack, something like that, then that body will have to be investigated to find out what the cause of death was. And that body will have to go to the coroner yep, for that cause of death to be determined. Yeah. Sometimes there isn't an autopsy. Sometimes they will glean the information. Like if someone's got a heart condition, it, and it's pretty, you know, the, the state of the body indicates that it's been a heart attack, yeah. The, and there's no suspicion of foul play, then they won't need, they may not need to have an autopsy because the coroner will um, certify that death from something like that. Or there may be toxicology, right? Just if someone's been gassed or something yeah. else like that. And then that body eventually gets released back, usually to a funeral director but it can be released back to the family and then you will proceed to look after it properly. Okay. So that's sudden death, but yeah. then you've got expected death, which is much more, uh, you know, people are much more prepared for that. So if someone has been dying at home or in hospital from a disease that has been causing that body to die and the organs to fail or to deteriorate or, or the, you know, the, uh, the bones or the blood to yeah. deteriorate, then you have to deal with what you've got. And so that body would generally sometimes is uh, skin and bone, but sometimes it's on steroids and it's very large. So we all, can, we all imagine that when someone has died from a disease, they're generally going to be a wasted body. But yes. that is not always the case. Yeah. So... But so in those circumstances, people will be preparing, they'll be discussing it together, they'll be making a decision whether they want to keep that body at home. Yeah. And then they will proceed accordingly because they will have put things in place. They will have got a cold plate or they will have they'll be have talked to someone about what to do. 
and they'll proceed. But sometimes when families have looked after a person for months while they've been dying, they don't want to keep that body at home for much longer. They want to take a breath. They want to yeah. open up the windows. They want, they've, they've done their time. They've given that person the best care they can. But, and they might keep it for a few hours and then let it go to a funeral director um, so that they can take a breath and, yes. and you know, freshen up the house in a way. Often people just want to open the windows and it's sort of a bit like when you're underwater yeah. and you're swimming and swimming and then you come up for air yeah. and you take a big breath and you're mm. just like, <gasps> like that. So. Yeah. It's very different for each family and it's not a sign of how much you love someone. No, no. It's a simple changeover of being someone's carer to then being allowed to be their son, daughter, uh, whoever, partner, Yeah. and then being allowed to grieve. I've experienced that myself from my mum's death, that 14 months of caring for her and the minute she was admitted into palliative care, I could then be her daughter and not her carer anymore and not the carer exactly and so if you've done that for a long period of time or a short intense period of time you know you have to decide if you want to be someone who wants to then keep going with that continuity of care for that person's body which they might have said they want but sometimes the family are exhausted and, yeah. and incapable of giving that and so it's always a discussion. It's always a compromise. It's always, you know, what what might be right for because the dying person only has one job, and yeah. that is to die. Yeah. But the family have a job of losing someone that they love, caring for that person, and then they have to plan a funeral and you know bury that person, cremate that person, go through a whole ceremony. And they may just not have it in them to to keep. They want they want a bit of leeway. They want a bit of interim space yeah. before they have to keep going with a gathering of you know pre COVID of mm. you know a hundred two hundred people yeah. and all the emotional uh, experience that that involves. And so yeah. it's really for each family to work out what's right for them. And that's the thing about knowing what your options are. Because a lot of people say, oh, I wish we'd known that when yes. my mum died. Yeah. So if you, if you know it, you can decide whether you can actually go do that or not or whether that's the best choice for your family. Because dying at home, as, as exactly what you've said, that you can care for someone, but sometimes the best place for them to die is in hospital, not at home. So that yes. you, exactly what you said, so that family can be family members rather yeah. than carers yes and, and not everyone's got the members. space and the equipment and the and the knowledge like I, I honestly I had no idea that I, I knew that there was probably a, a way around keeping my mum home so that she could die at home but that information mm. probably wasn't readily available for me or, or provided yeah. to me by the hospital and I didn't know where to look um and you know I realized when she once once she went into palliative care. She was on a special pressurized bed to to make sure she didn't develop any bed sores. Like, there's a lot of yeah. equipment involved in having someone at home. So you know that's sometimes and, it's just not 20, possible. 20, yeah, and twenty four seven medical care. Yeah, available, which is a, usually a great relief to yeah. family. You know that they're not having to. Should they ring an ambulance? Should they do? You know, should they give more? Someone else is making those decisions and that yeah. someone experienced is making those yes. decisions. Yes. Yeah. So so it is possible to have someone um, at home if, 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 if illness is involved. So say, for example, someone that who's, who's battled with cancer, had chemotherapy, there, there is ways of doing that at home? Yeah, totally. I mean, people have been dying at home forever and they yeah. continue to do that. But now you get to be supported by community health, palliative care outreach. You've got social workers. Uh, you've got a range of services that are available. Sometimes now people have the NDIS yes. and they can, um, you know, employ masses, they can employ carers, they can get wheeled yeah. out. You know, it's an, incre- it's an incredible time to die. 
but it's also a terrible time to die right now yes. because of the COVID restrictions. Yes. So, it, and and my main thing was like the actual having the person at home after they've passed away. So that's, is it much more complicated when sickness is involved for the, for the loved ones to, to deal with? No, I mean, no, sometimes it, I suppose the simplest thing is that while they're alive, you are generally keeping them warm mm-hmm. right you're mm-hmm. keeping their feet warm because the blood's not flowing to their extremities sometimes you know their hands and feet are very cold and their skin and bones so they've got no body heat and you just want to you want to keep them warm and snuggly and and that's your way of caring but once the body dies then you need to reverse that and keep it cool not immediately like bang yeah. but you need to um, especially if their torso is affected by a disease and the organs are going to keep their body heat. Yes. So you start to, you know, you're starting to take off those covers um, and you're starting to make the room a bit cooler if it's a hot day. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of common sense in a way, but you won't just find yourself in that situation because you will have been supported by palliative care nurses or community health nurses, and they will be giving you guidance in what you need to do if you want to keep that body for a few hours. If you want to keep it for longer, then you need to be prepared for that with a cold plate or dry ice or wet ice or whatever. Right. I mean, so, if you live in Tasmania and it's cold, you could just open right. up all the windows and that would be a help. But if yeah. you're in the, you know, in Queensland in the heat or yeah. New South Wales on a hot day, you yeah. need to be appropriate with that. Okay. So I'm assuming that, like, uh, I, was, I was never made aware from any, any medical people that this is a possibility. I mean, this is a long time ago, so I don't know if this is a relatively new thing. But, um, no, it's an it's an old thing. It's an old thing. So so they're not gonna. They wouldn't be the. Obviously, they're not going to be the ones that tell you that the, these options are available. You need to either again. I find I'm finding this a common thing that you either need to ask the questions or or have this knowledge under your belt. Like it wouldn't occur to me to even ask that I would like to you know keep my loved one home with me, be able to dress them, get them ready for their funeral. It, I'd like I might want that but I don't even know if that's a possibility it's it would never be suggested otherwise I don't think well some nurses will give you that guidance because they're aware of it mm-hmm. some won't because but it's a bit like sometimes you know when you go to a restaurant and the waiter just goes that little bit extra yeah. to tell you something and you know how you feel you say oh thanks for that thanks for taking yeah. that extra bit of time because that piece of information can make a massive difference to your yes. experience. Mm-hmm. And so, but now more and more people like you are doing podcasts. And even if it's not a death related podcast, it might be about a general thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time talking to people like you, sharing that information, putting it out there, telling people to look on the internet to find someone who's close to them. There are lots of death doulas. There are lots of death walkers. There are people who are very death aware about the services that are available in your areas. Um, Celebrants who are also people who work uh, beforehand and can share lots and lots of information because once you know something, you can't not know it. So, for example, now you're going to be like, wow, you know, what do I do with that? You're going to be telling everybody if it yes, arises in a conversation. And, you know, it's if any of your friends. Yeah. Yeah. And it's up. So, but you can see what I mean then. Once you know what your options are, you can yeah. consider them and make an informed decision about what's right for you. And it might mean that you you don't do it all yourselves, but you keep that body at home. You rent a cold plate off someone in your area you might keep them for 24 hours. You might just relax into that loss. You might you see very clearly that yeah. that body is empty, mm. that that spark, that spirit, that soul, that essence or consciousness, whatever you call it, 
has clearly left the body. And that is very helpful for families to see that whatever it was that made that person who they were is gone. And what you've got is an empty body. And you are very familiar with that body because you've loved it. It might have birthed you. You yep. might have made love to it. If it's your partner, you might have birthed it if it's your child. Yep. And so you really want to be able to let that body go, feeling that the, the life force that it's was gone. that person that you loved is also gone. Yeah. yeah. And that can make a massive difference to people's bereavement. Yes, yeah. I mean, usually that... that in a normal circumstance that not normal but in, in an average circumstance that happens at a funeral whether they have the they have a, a viewing or at some point in the funeral that that that's for them their time to realize that person's not there anymore and the loss is easier yeah. mm. and a lot of where we are for the last 25 years you know most of the ceremonies that I've been doing is people have a choice whether they have an open coffin or a closed coffin, even if that is a sudden death, even if that is an accident, or if that person has killed themselves, the, the families will often choose to have an open coffin. Mm -hmm. And in circumstances like that, it's even more beneficial for the people to see that body, to see that that person is dead and the reality of that, especially young people, mm. because... Otherwise, you turn up, you've got a coffin, and what you, you're thinking is you don't want that person to be dead. Mm. And it's, you're so in shock from how they died and the suddenness of it. So sometimes at the funeral, you're not even really processing anything yep. because it's, it's sort of not real, especially if you're a young person and it's your first or second or third experience of death. And... So to be able to come to the coffin and see that person, especially if they're young, that they, that they are dead, then that really can assist people to mm. process that loss with a very, you know, with a well-held spoken ceremony and opportunity to, for things to be appropriate for the people who are attending and the person who has died. I mean, even for me, I've I've been to many a funeral in my day, and I um, and I'd even you know seen my mum pass away before my eyes, and then after that, I'd lost a friend. She was the same age as me, and she died from an asthma attack, and it was very sudden and very quick and very mm. out of the blue. Mm. And her coffin afterwards, I mean, you see, you see, I mean, you see coffins all the time. You can even pass them in hearses mm. on the, on the roads. It's very. Yeah don't you know it's very dissociative it just doesn't the whole process doesn't feel real I can see that how seeing mm. a body like for me I've never been one for I've never been a fan of or never really understood the whole open coffin sort of situation and viewing bodies and things like that but now mm. I see the value in it in the fact that yeah. I differences in, in those sort of losses it's almost like I never I never got to see her. So one minute I saw her and she was fine and the next minute I'm at mm. I'm at her funeral. It's um it's quite yeah. you know, almost so, associative. Yeah, so what I would say, which I think might be helpful for people, is that for every death there's an equation. So it's who the person is, mm -hmm. how they live, and how they die. That's one part. Yeah. The other part is who you are your relationship to them and your familiarity with, to death will give you a response. And yeah. that response will be different every time because the, the person and how they die is different every yeah. time. Yeah. And so you can think, oh, I'm getting good at this. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm managing my emotions. You know, I, I, I'm crying, but I feel okay. Yeah. And then, you, which is how you might have felt about your mom. You know, you yeah. might have been sad, but, you know, she was your mom. She'd lived a long life and, you know, she had a disease and you were preparing for that. Yes. And you were okay. You know, you were all the things you were. Yeah. And then you exactly what you're saying. Your friend, she's younger. She, it's a sudden death. It, that's a pretty tragic death, um, uh, uh, an asthma attack. Uh, you know, that's like, fuck, you know. Yeah. And so... Um, and so to be able to then 
see her and be able to communicate to her quietly in your own mind and heart to, to be able to look at her body and say, oh, so-and-so, you know, there you are, gosh, you know. And you, you're having this silent communication. It's a bit like how I was with my friend when she died from the aneurysm, very yeah. similar to an asthma attack. And I stood in that morgue with her body and was having this whole silent conversation like, God, I can't believe you're dead. You know, I'd never seen a dead body till I'd seen her. And yeah. I was able to, to have a conversation with myself but through being exposed to her dead body that was very helpful to me in, in dealing with that sudden and shocking experience of her death because yeah. I loved her like a sister, you know, like yeah. a best friend. Yeah. And it's very different then to to someone, you know, who's dying. Yes, yes. So I noticed on your website that you have services, so you have death walker training. Hmm. What is that, like an end-of-life doula? It's much more than that. So for many years when I was doing this work which I didn't have a calling people just invited me to come and talk to them while they were dying or to be the celebrant for the funeral or to come and speak publicly about how to do it yourself or what was available and so I I really learned that whole spectrum from being with people when they're well dying when they're dead and what to do with the dead body uh, organizing a ceremony, organizing a disposal, a burial or cremation, and then seeing them in their bereavement because we're a community. So I would see them, you know, at the supermarket, I would see them at parties, I would continually be engaging with people who I, I had worked with um, around someone's death. And so what I decided was exactly what you're saying, I didn't know that was an option. Eventually, I decided that I would offer um, a three-day workshop in, with all the information, but also the subtlety of what's involved and what the considerations are about, you know, dealing with dying, with sudden death, with knowing what your legal rights are, what your social rights are, what you can do and what you can't do. Um, and so it was always my dream that there would be someone within each community that held that body of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Just like in, in previous times, someone always held the birth knowledge. There was always a midwife. Yeah. And then there was always someone who would wash and dress the dead body and assist the family and guide them and accompany them in that loss. Mm -hmm. And so... I've never used the word doula to describe my work or yeah. what I do because I feel that I'm accompanying that person. I'm walking with them and I'm also walking with the family. And so, but they have to do the work. Yeah. Because it's their loss, it's their life, it's their death, and they own that. And so I'm assisting and responding to them. Yeah. with everything that I can offer them, but I don't do it for them. They yeah. do it. Oh. And um, so it's sort of, I don't know, I've just never, the word doula has never sat well with me. And when I first started, there were, that word wasn't even in anybody's um, language that people tried to say, oh, you're a midwife to the dying. Yeah, And I would sort of say, no, not really, because the the midwife doesn't deliver the baby. The mother delivers the baby. Yeah. And so the dying person is dying. The family are accompanying them, and I am accompanying all of them. I'm guiding them through. But I don't know what it's like to die. Yeah. And I know what it's like to accompany someone who's dying that you love. Yeah. And so I'm just bringing an extra body of knowledge and experience and familiarity and information to those experiences for those people. That's awesome. And I, I noticed too there was a, a, a ceremony masterclass. So that's for people to, I would say, like preside over funerals. Is that right? 
So in the in the Death Walker training, there is a module which is enough for people who want to create a meaningful and appropriate ceremony for someone. And so celebrants sometimes come to get the whole process. And mm-hmm. sometimes people come and they say, I don't want to be a celebrant. I've got no interest at all. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, pay attention anyway, because life might have something else in store for you. Mm-hmm. And it, often people will contact me and the group of people that they just spent three days with and say, you know, someone's just died in our my friendship group and the family have asked me if I will be the celebrant and that mm-hmm. I did it and I, I followed the plan and it worked. Yeah. And, but the ceremony masterclass is for people who want more than that and it's about crafting the words for more complicated death, so yeah. sudden and shocking death or yeah. death of children or death of babies, stillborn babies, or when someone kills themselves, because that's not like a funeral for someone who's died of a disease and everyone's sort of prepared for that and are dealing with it um, because they were, you know, they had time to uh, come to terms with that, but they're still feeling the surprise of it when it happens. Right. And then the ceremony masterclass is more focused on that side of it. It's only about the crafting and it's you can only come if you've done the other one or you are a working celebrant already. Okay. Because it, it assumes yes. that you have an understanding of ceremony and that you have an experience of standing in front of 200 people looking at you to make that shocking experience better. Right. Okay. Yeah. As you would want that. Yeah. So how yeah. has, how has COVID, I mean, I know COVID's changed a lot of things in regards to how many people can attend funerals, um, but yeah. how has COVID changed options for people wanting to have a home, home, I suppose you call it a home death or home, home process after the, after the death? Yeah. So it, if they, if they are dying, and they, you know, the doctor would come and certify that death, then they they can proceed accordingly. They just can't have everybody in the house. Yeah. So they can still care for that person as a family. And if people have moved in pre-COVID, then uh, they could all be there. But mm-hmm. it makes it very difficult. But it's difficult to die anywhere at the moment. It's difficult to die in hospital because some people can't visit. People yeah. can't cross borders. So, you know, Zoom is an incredible gift to everybody at the moment because people can also film it on their cameras. And so people who are in different states or overseas can can be present. And because we've become so familiar with Zoom, filming someone who's dying so that other people can share that experience doesn't seem so weird as yeah. it might off once yeah. because, you know, we, we're understanding that the quality of that experience for people has to be the best it can be in the circumstances that they're dealing with. So whatever they can do to make that experience better for people, and if that includes filming someone on a mobile phone while they're comatose in bed or struggling, that gives people a reality check of the situation rather than just getting a phone call and saying, oh, they died. We yeah. all know that experience and it's shocking mm-hmm. and we would all rather be prepared. And even though sometimes it's challenging or it's heartbreaking or it's hard, uh, that's what life offers us. It offers us those experiences to grow. And they're, you know, we, you know, we do, we know that everyone we love is going to die. Some will die before us and some will die after us. But it's some sort of magic trick that we play on ourselves that it's not going to happen. <laughs> so yeah. the sooner we start to really um, be able to sit with that and prepare in advance, you know, like to grow a muscle that says, wow, you know, I might get a phone call one day that any of my siblings or my partner 
all my children might have died. How is that going to be for me? Whew, people go. But the more you let that possibility in, it's a bit like first aid. You know, you learn CPR, you hope you never have to use it. But if you find yourself in an experience, you are glad that you've got it because it may, um, it may contribute to saving someone's life, but it also doesn't make you feel so helpless. Yeah. And so having a knowledge of the fact or the capacity to hold that someone you love will die and they might die, they may die suddenly, then that's, you know, it can sustain you when you're in a, a, a challenging moment. I assume that, um, I don't know if you probably encountered it as yet, but if someone was to pass away from COVID, that, you know, the options of, of being at home would probably not be possible? I think because of the whole set of circumstances at, at the moment, um, it's trickier to bring the body home. And most people are opting for a ceremony or a direct disposal where someone goes straight to the cremator and they think they'll do a ceremony later but I think it would be worth speaking to a funeral director a friendly probably an independent funeral director yeah Yeah. to um to, to find out those that what the legal requirements are at the moment yeah because, so, because they may have a direction that they are not allowed to do that. Yes, then yeah. Stuck. Yeah, yeah And I have heard from a previous guest who um, she works with council and runs a, a couple of uh, cemeteries, and she's advised mm-hmm. me that unfortunately now they can't. Uh, apparently, they can't embalm bodies of anyone who's passed away with COVID. It's not. But um, you don't need to embalm a body. You don't no. need like. I've, I've spent 25 years with hundreds of bodies and only one of those was embalmed. It's not a necessary standard procedure unless you're being buried above ground. Yes, if it's a crypt, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but for a regular burial, you don't need to embalm. You're preserving a body with a toxic substance yeah. and it, so it doesn't decompose. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like I know, I, I mean, I know there are still some people that do want to have their loved ones put in crypts and things. So I know that that's the reason why they embalmed bodies. I, I suppose yeah. probably maybe it it devolves back from the time where you know the facilities to keep a body, um, store a body safely didn't wasn't available. Yeah. So I mean, it's some cultures embalm as a matter of course because that's a cultural practice and if you're burying above ground and that the people that do that are are often um, following a cultural practice that they have always had yes but the majority of people are burying in a lawn cemetery below the surface you know into the earth yeah in in a coffin yeah so it's a it's a different experience but yes at the moment everything's up in the air and things that you could normally do you might not be doing but I have friends who are working in the funeral industry and they are still allowing the family to keep the body at home for a certain for the period of time that they want to um, as long as it's in you know cared for in a cold kept in a cold condition okay oh good to, it's good to know um one thing I, I always tend to ask people uh is has your plans changed for your death one day like uh, being exposed to this seeing so many um losses and things has it changed or or even given you more insight as to what you'd want for your for yourself and your loved ones one day i don't care <laughs> I really don't care. That seems to be the common, um, it's funny, that seems to be the common theme. When I ask that question of people, they just don't care. Do whatever you want. I'm going to be gone. It's just personal. Exactly. And, mm. and for me, it's about living the best life I can live. It's about being prepared to die. And for me, it's also about uh, 
being present to that moment of death, whether it comes slowly or it comes suddenly, because I haven't spent 25 years on that coal face to miss that moment. So I want to have that experience of whatever it is that is my life force leaving my body or finishing in my body, whatever it feels like, I want to be present to that. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm not attached to my physical body yeah. when it's dead. I'm very attached to it while I'm alive in it, my life being the best quality it can be yeah. and the most meaningful and beneficial it can be. But yeah. I'm not in, I, I, my friends will get it together. Yes. They'll work it out, what, what their needs are. I don't yeah. care. Yeah, that's right. It, it is pretty much based on what, I mean, everyone can have wishes for certain things, but really it's it comes down to it's what those people that have survived you want to, um, how they want to remember you and how they want to honour you. Yeah, and some people have very strong uh, instructions and so much so that I put together a document which is available on our website, you might have seen it, which is called the end of life wishes and yes. um, or my death care plan, which covers that whole journey. And I think it's $8, but it really is worth getting to fill in because it works. It, it collates the details and then you can share those with others who may be looking after your body and your funeral arrangements. But it also takes you on a journey through the dying process of what you might want and what's important for you. And again, it's about knowing what your options are and considering them, sharing them with others and making decisions that are right for you and for them. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely I'll be uh, attaching links to the to the podcast description so people can visit your website as well as your Facebook page. And I I would like to thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely talking to you. Is there anything you wanted to mention that I may not have asked? Mm. No. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's only so much you can fit in an hour, but you've yes. done, it's been great. I feel it's been packed full of yeah. information. Awesome. Oh, I know what I would say. What? I would say that dying is really an inside job. And the more you prepare for that on the inside rather than funeral arrangements, the better that is going to be for you and for the people that love you. That's that's beautifully said. I really do like that. Thank you so much for your time, Zenith. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks.